We may be looking on your, uh, the newsletter and seeing that um, the sermon is entitled Commanded to Love. I changed it this week to Expected to Bear Fruit. Um, because I think this passage, John 15, is, as we've seen, about bearing fruit. Now, we've just moved to Stafford, and in our new garden, we have an apple tree. And uh, we moved in there, and there was a lot of blossom. And we've been told that in time, August, September, it will produce a lot of fruit, a lot of apples. And if the blossom is anything to go by, then we will have a lot of apples. And I think Sharon and I are looking forward to a great harvest of apples. We're not sure whether they're cookers or eaters, but we are looking forward to it. We expect there to be fruit. It's an apple tree. What more do you want? We expect there to be apples. So Jesus expects fruitfulness from us. Now, in the Christian life, we can think of fruitfulness in three ways. First is social justice. Isaiah 5 verse 7 says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So Israel was meant to bear fruit, and it's meant to bear fruit of justice and righteousness, but they failed. And so in our lives and in the life ourselves as a church, we are also meant to show fruits of justice and righteousness. We can also think of the fruit of the, uh, fruitfulness in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, as Alison has pointed out to us, the nine fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Galatians 5 verse 22. We are meant to be producing that fruit in us, or that fruit is meant to be being produced in us. We're meant to become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good, more faithful, etc. That is what is meant to be happening. We've become Christians, we're not there yet, but that fruit is slowly meant to be ripening within us. So we can think of fruitfulness in terms of social justice, we can think of fruitfulness in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, but we can also think of fruitfulness in terms of mission. People coming to know Christ as their Saviour through our witness, through our life as individuals and as a church. And fruit bearing that glorifies God and is a product of pruning and remaining, both of which are spoken of in this passage and we will speak of again later, includes all these three. And as individual Christians and each church, we should be displaying each one of social justice, of justice and righteousness and so forth, the fruit of the Spirit is meant to be being ripened within us and we are meant to be seeing the fruit in terms of mission. And wherever and whenever Jesus the Son is seen, the harvest is ripening and God the Father is glorified. The passage before us in John 15 is about fruit bearing in mission, the third of those three that we've talked about. It's about mission, about seeing people saved. The last phrase in John 14.31 is actually translated, or should be translated, or the normal Greek way of translating it would be, let us go and meet the advancing enemy. And Jesus, in verse 30 of chapter 14, has just asserted that the prince of this world is coming 
And what he is saying is, as disciples, we are now meant to be engaging him in the battle. You could say this is a call to arms. So this passage is about mission, about seeing fruit in mission. In seeing fruit when we tell others about Jesus, but seeing them come to faith. And Jesus is saying he's the true vine. As we saw earlier, Israel in the Old Testament was called the vine and had been called to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. But it had failed because of disobedience. And Psalm 80 says, the vine is burned with fire. So Jesus here, saying he's the true vine, is the one who does fulfil that purpose, that he brings salvation to the world, to the ends of the earth. He is the obedient one. He lives it out and he's the obedient son through whose sacrifice and consequent mission the purpose that Israel was meant to fulfil would find fulfilment in him. The nations would be reached and all the families of the earth would be blessed through Jesus. So the primary thrust of this passage is missionary. Going. And we are to bear fruit in mission as the whole purpose of Jesus' mission was to draw people to himself. Jesus is now taken from us physically, but we as his disciples are sent into the world to carry on his mission, to carry on that task in his physical absence. And this is the principal reason for saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so... As I stated earlier, God expects us to bear fruit in mission. You may have heard it said that God only expects us to be faithful. And any fruit, that's down to him. We read that in Paul's letters. And that is true, but I believe it to be only half the truth. Faithfulness to him is expected, but so is us bearing fruit in mission, seeing people saved. Jesus does expect us to be faithful. Of course he does. We must be faithful to the word. We must be faithful to him. But he also wants and expects us to be fruitful in in our lives. He expects us to be fruitful in all three areas that we spoke of earlier. But that includes mission. In seeing people coming to faith. Coming to know him as their Lord and Saviour. Coming to know him and repenting of their sins and putting their trust in him. Look at the Great Commission. Jesus says, and it's a a command, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything as I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. That is what we are meant to be doing. And surely the definition of fruitfulness for a local church must include growth by the conversion of unbelievers. And the Bible clearly identifies numerical growth of the church as fruit. But of course, the purpose of this fruit-bearing function is stated to bring glory to God. It's not for our benefit, it's not to bring glory to us, but it's to bring glory to God. The ultimate purpose of the coming of Jesus, the glorifying of the Father, is realised 
primarily through effective mission, when people come to know Jesus as Saviour, the kingdom is built and is being built and God is glorified. And if we want to seek the glory of God, which we do, it implies a commitment to mission, to going and seeing people one for him coming to faith. And we could say that by involvement in mission and becoming fruit bearers, we show ourselves to be authentic disciples and are not only being fruitful, but also faithful. And faithfulness surely is accomplishing as much as possible with the resources and talents God has given us. Success or fruitfulness is bearing as much fruit as possible given our gifts, our opportunities and the potentials that we have. You know, Jesus doesn't expect us to produce more fruit than we can, but he does expect us to produce all that we can by his power within us. And of course it's his power within us. We don't go out on our own. We will never see fruit without him. But we go and we produce all that we can by his power that is at work within us. That's what we looked at last week in Ephesians 3, the prayer of Paul. And we saw at the end where it says God can do much more than we can even dream of. And so the fruit that we can produce, lives one for Christ, is a lot more than most of us possibly think. We think, oh, it's not possible, that isn't. Yes, it is. We can bear that fruit. We, looked, we saw last week, I said, we expect, uh, William Carey said, expect great things from God, att- attempt great things for him. So often we expect too little from God and we attempt too little for him. But if we attempt these things for him, we can produce a lot more fruit in terms of mission, than most of us think is possible. But in this passage, there are given four secrets, I think, I believe, of effective mission. The first is pruning. Come on. Can someone... Can you click it on up there? It should come up as pruning. Thank you. Pruning is never pleasant, and I'm no gardener, but I do know that uh, if you want to see fruit, and particularly with vines, I think you, the farmers have to prune it quite a lot. And then they will see fruit. So we need to be pruned. And the ministry of the father as gardener is a double one. He wants to ensure that there is much, as much fruit as possible, and so he will cut off dry and withered branches, and he will remove the useless, useless growth for the branches. It's certainly a harsh to think of branches being cut off. But this is what God will do, and what he will do within us as individuals and as a church. He will prune us. And it's painful, but it will make us more fruitful. And verse 3 refers to the cleansing, purging effect of God's word. God's word will prune us, it will convict us, it will change us. It will convict us of sin so that we get rid of it and it will just work in our lives, changing us to become more like Christ. And so we need to read God's word. 
And as it works in us, we become in a new way attractive and authentic in our Christian living and witness. As we become more Christ-like, as he works within us, we become more attractive to people. They see something different within us. And of course, pruning also comes not just through God's word, but through hard circumstances and trials. Some of the difficult things we go through in our lives aren't pleasant. We often think we would rather not have to go through them, but they change us and it produces a harvest. Yes, it's painful, but the harder the pruning, the greater the fragrance and beauty which will later be released. The greater the size of the fruit, so I'm led to understand. God, our Heavenly Father, is hungry for fruit from his vine. He's hungry for fruit from us. And in order to produce it, it will often, in his pruning, cut deeper than we would ever have chosen. (coughs) But it will be for our good. And it will mean that we will produce more fruit. It's a bit like disciplining of what the writer of the Hebrews says. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. God disciplines us, he prunes us for our good. And remember, God is more interested in our holiness than he is in our happiness. We want to be happy, God wants us to be happy. But more than anything else, he wants us to be holy because he is holy. And he will prune us so that we become more like Christ, more holy in everything. And sometimes that will make us unhappy. But in the end, it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's the end of that passage in Hebrews. God is more interested in our holiness than in our happiness, so he will prune us and discipline us. But the other way is, if you could turn it on to the next one, remain in me. Jesus says, remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Jesus has spoken in earlier in John about the wonderful new relationship with him which will be ours through the Holy Spirit coming upon us after Jesus has returned to heaven. What Jesus is saying is that our relationship with him is fundamental to fruit bearing. We cannot bear fruit without him. No branch can bear fruit by itself. If you were to cut a branch off the vine and just leave it and expect it to bear fruit, it simply won't. It will die. It will wither. That is true of us. If we, as his branches, cut ourselves off from him, don't remain in him, we cannot possibly bear fruit. Because fruit bearing for God is not a human possibility. It is Christ's work through us. And basically, John says the alternatives are two. Separate from Christ, no fruit. United to Christ, much fruit. We have to have a continual dependence upon our living Saviour. We need to be talking with him, communing with him, spending time with him through the Holy Spirit. And we need to be submitting to him in all things. As he says, a new commandment I give you, and you will obey my commands if you remain in me. 
And all of these are characteristics of a life in which God is glorified and where fruit is produced to the praise of his glory. And the question is then, how is our relationship? Which is, are we remaining in him? Are we staying close to him? Are we intimate with him? I read these words this week. It says, life in general is busy and the Christian life has become just as hectic, increasing the tempo which most of us live and live in little time to develop our relationship with God. Intimacy in any relationship needs time to develop. Spiritual intimacy and the cultivation of our inner life is exactly the same. Like a couple who drift apart because they never have quality time together, Many of us are in danger of drifting away from the lover of our souls. We have no time to talk, no opportunity to enjoy each other. And we, God wants us to enjoy that um, intimacy with him. How is our relationship with Jesus? Are we truly spending time and remaining in him? But also, this relationship is in part a moral one because he says that we remain in his love if we obey his commands. Of course, if we are disobedient, how can we remain in his love? But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And Jesus draws a parallel between our remaining in him and his remaining in the Father, a right relationship characterised by obedience. He remained in the Father and obeyed him. We must remain in Jesus and obey him. And this means that remaining in Christ must not be some sort of mystical state. The mark of a heart remaining in Christ is not even, or even principally, a sense of inward serenity. That isn't what it's mainly about but it's a conscience clear before God and man. It is allowing Jesus' words to remain in us and obeying. But as I say that, I can sort of hear people saying, well, yeah, but that's grim. It it takes the joy out of it. No, it doesn't. Jesus says in verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We can often think of the Ten Commandments as do not do this, do not do the other. Just don't do. But a Christian life isn't about not doing. It's about a relationship. Submitting to Christ is not hard. It's actually the road to liberation. It brings joy. The joy of Christ's presence in our hearts. And the connection with fruit bearing is obvious. For the joy of the Lord in the lives of us, his people, will be supremely attractive to those who aren't believers. That joy will show and it will be attractive because that joy will come despite circumstances. If we could do the next one, third, praying. We don't just remain in Jesus, but we talk with him and we spend time with him. When we remain in Christ, we are in such harmony with God's purpose that the yearning of our hearts accords with what he wants. And so prayer is answered according to his will. As we spend time with Christ, as we remain in him, as we become intimate with him, we begin to know what he wants and as we pray for what he wants, so the answers come, yes. 
we pray in accordance with his will. And prayer is crucial to the effective mission of the people of God. We know that. Every one of us here would say, yes, we need to pray if we want to see people saved. But we find it so difficult, don't we? We find other things to do. And sadly, the truth of many churches is expressed in a penetrating sentence in the letter of James. You don't have because you don't ask. We need to ask. Not that prayer is some sort of talisman which in itself ensures successful fruit-bearing mission. There is prayer and there is prayer. Jesus acknowledges elsewhere the possibility of vain repetition. But where our hearts are set to conform to his will and open to what he really wants for the world, prayer's potential is limitless. In the work of mission, the church advances on its knees. If we want to see people saved, we have to ask. We need to talk with him and say, God, we want to see people saved. And then fourthly, if you could put it up, love for one another. We sung about this. A Christ-like love between Christians is a further fundamental of effective mission. Only Christ can draw others to himself, but Christ is revealed when his people love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 1 John 4 verse 12. And we sung earlier, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And it's a love that the world can't reproduce. It's a love that comes you know, from a unity that says, we're old, we're young, we're of different nationalities. We have different thoughts, we come from different political beliefs, but we love one another. We love those who we really get on well with, we love those who we find more difficult to get on with. And it's so, so important. It means sacrifice. Christ laid down his life for his friends. And it says here, we must do the same. And he calls us his friends. And this isn't remote from the work of mission. For when the dignity of our status as the friends of Jesus is imprinted on our hearts, when we know that we are Christ's friends, we shall be more effective ambassadors for him. There is no better inducement to share the gospel with others than the recognition that he offers them also the supreme honour of becoming his friends. Not slaves, not servants, but becoming the friends of Jesus. You are a friend of Jesus. What we are called to do is to say, Jesus is our friend. We introduce our friends to our other friends. They become friends. That is what we are called to do. And I want to end today by asking, are you a friend of Jesus? Perhaps today you are here and you know that you're not a friend of Jesus. Jesus comes to you today and offers you his friendship. He died for you so that that relationship that has been broken can be restored. So you can have a relationship with Jesus and with God his Father. Jesus sacrificed everything for you so that you could become his friends. Jesus did this for you. And all you have to do is come to him And pray and say, look, I want to be your friend. 
and you can be. Yes, you need to come and confess sins, that you need his forgiveness, but that is it. And then you are his friends. It's that simple. For everyone else, the question is, do you want to be fruitful as individuals? Do you want this church to be fruitful? Do you want people to know Jesus? Do you want people to come to faith? Do we want to see conversion growth? And as we ended last week, I'm going to end again. We need to expect more from God. We, ex- we need to attempt more for God and allow God to do his work among us. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we want to be people who bear fruit. We want to see people coming to Jesus and knowing them as their saviour. And Lord, if there are some here this morning who haven't yet put their trust in you, I pray that they will today, that they will come to know you as their friend. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to be those who are your ambassadors and to introduce people to you, our friend. In Jesus' name. Amen.